Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality with your host, me, Aliyah Lovely. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, psychics, aliens, religion, new age stuff, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, philosophy, and even dating. Some of the shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and new discoveries and other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up about what spirituality in today's world really looks like. As a transformational life coach, Christina assists individuals in reconnecting with their inner power. By creating a space for her clients to get reacquainted with the best version of themselves, she allows for an unearthing of one's hidden passions and desires. While Christina is a certified life coach and has a bachelor's and master's in clinical psychology, she still deeply believes and experiences the benefits of utilizing the spiritual realm and healing. Using intuitives, mediums, and healers for growth and knows that the omission of them keeps people missing out on experiencing qualified individuals that just do the work differently. The outcomes can be powerful, if not more powerful, than taking the conventional route they've been conditioned to take. As someone who sees the benefits of both, Christina takes measures to integrate her own practice to best benefit people's humanity and spirituality the same. Today we talk about the paranormal world from the perspective of someone who's trained in the scientific world and observes the daily mystical mysteries of the universe with her very own eyes. Welcome, Christina, to the show. Okay. Hello, Christina. Thank you so much for being on Spiritual Shit. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Um, so we're so excited to talk to you today because you have such a extensive background in psychology with a bachelor's and a master's and you're certified life coach. So you do see the very logical side and the scientific or psych side of things when it comes mm-hmm. to human behavior, when it comes to trauma, things like that. Um, but you yourself and your own past have experienced and are of a mediumship ability person. So since you're someone who operates on both sides, um, given, given your background, I heard that you, you started your master's and you're getting ready to get your um, SID to be a practicing therapist, but decided to walk away for intuitive reasons. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, like I told you before, psychology didn't just like it wasn't always in the forefront of my mind. I've always been a people person. I've always enjoyed working with people. Um, but when I was about to enter college, I had no idea what I was going to choose as a, a major. It wasn't something that I had a definitive kind of, I know exactly what I want to be when I grow up. It wasn't like that for me at all. Um, so I come from a very... Um, connected family, a very close family. And my parents' advice was to go for something that was going to make me money as a woman. And they thought computer science was the way to go. So they, you know, initially thought that they had decided for me. But again, for me, I functioned more from my intuition. And when I went to orientation, you had to select a major at that point. And I was, I remember the day because it was very, very powerful for me. Um, I was sitting with my parents in the middle of this big auditorium and they were calling the students by major to go with their cohort. And once the computer science major got called, I did not move. 
I couldn't move. Like I literally felt it. My, my feet just felt like they were rocks mm-hmm. planted into the ground. And my parents just look at me like, oh, go, go, go to computer science. And I'm like, no, I got to keep listening. So I sat there. They, they were just confused. And I started listening to all the other majors that were available at my university. And psychology came up and I literally felt it in my gut, like get up, go over there. So I went and up until that point, I had only taken a a core psych class in my high school. And it was interesting and it was something that, you know, grabbed my attention, I was engaged, but I knew in that moment I had to follow those people and get more information. So at the end of the day, I signed up. Again, it was very, just an intuitive kind of pulling, uh, an urge that this was going to be my group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really never looked back from there. I, I fell in love with psychology. I fell in love with just, you know, the way people's minds work, why we make the decisions that we do, how our trauma and our life experience impact us. And the whole um, connection between mind and body was exposed. I was exposed to that in my university. Um, and that helps to kind of normalize some of the things I would feel growing up in terms of the intuition, in terms of me having an interest in death and dying. I had a death and dying course in, in college that I adored because that whole process was something that um, I was never necessarily exposed to. It was something that you kind of just if somebody dies in your family, you experience that, but it's also, it was always taught to me that it was a beautiful thing. It's part of the life. Is beautiful. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful. So specifically with the death and um, frame, what I was going to do in psychology, uh, I am always interested in um, showing up for people. So I was trying to find a way that psychology would propel me in that direction, help me to show up for people in their most vulnerable times, in their most um, difficult times. And I didn't know necessarily if it was going to be completely around death and dying and maybe bereavement counseling. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I kept, it kept kind of coming up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I come from a very spiritual family. We, growing up, were raised Catholic, but we were exposed to just about every religion out there because our parents wanted us to um, be open-minded and be accepting of others and just to be knowledgeable that, you know, this is all very real part of our lives. Spirituality is a very real um, part of our lives and it's something that we should embrace fully. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, get, I get all through um, my undergrad, I get a degree in health psychology because again, I wanted to try to find a way to connect with people when they're struggling, maybe health-wise. Um, there was always a science piece to my, um, my interest in psychology. Mm-hmm. I get into grad school and I start to actually practice with individuals. Mm-hmm. And it was just very, I don't know how to explain it. It felt, it didn't feel like home. Mm-hmm. I wanted my experience to feel like I was coming back and that it was a perfect setting for me, um, that I was helping people in the way that I wanted. And as I start to get in depth with the DSM and all of the The criteria, DSM. So the DSM is a a large textbook that you basically use to diagnose your patients in psychology. So there's been lots of additions to this book and it it, um, has evolved over time. 
Um, but it was basically used during all of your sessions. At the end of your session with a client, you're going to give an assessment around what your client has in terms of um, a mental condition, maybe bipolar disorder, um, body dysmorphia. A pathology of some sort. Exactly. So you, you're basically diagnosing them with something and you're kind of just putting them there, you know, mm -hmm. putting them in this box. And um, it didn't feel as natural. And in my life, that was my goal. It kept coming up for me. This doesn't feel as natural for me. It doesn't feel free flowing for me. It feels distant. I felt distant from all of my patients. I would listen to what they were talking about and I would be thinking in the back of my mind, DSM. Where did they land in the DSM? Mm -hmm. And that didn't feel good to just kind of be waiting to put a label on them and then kind of help them along the way, mm -hmm. according to, you know, the directions in this DSM. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was also given, you know, a lot of education around ethics and how you have to kind of keep this professional distance from your clients. And again, that didn't feel as natural for me. Mm -hmm. If a client is crying, I might want to cry along with them. And in the psychology world, is that necessarily professional and in accordance with the ethics? Right. I couldn't function that way. It yeah. felt very um, detached for me, the experience. And ultimately, I... Um, I decided to walk away one day because the, 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 the issues just kept coming up and I kept feeling the stirring. I kept calling it a stirring in my stomach and I couldn't explain it to anybody. It just yeah. felt like I was in the wrong place. Um, I enjoyed psychology. I love psychology. It really did frame the work that I do now. But um, the day I had to re-register for my next semester, right, I thought it was just perfect. The... Um, re-enrollment papers were on my left and the withdrawal forms from the program were on the right and I just walked in and I said whichever one my hand goes to that's what we're going to do mm -hmm. and I just took the withdrawal forms and I walked away signed them dated them and I was out of grad school yeah and I had no plan no direction I just had to I committed to myself that I was going to figure it out mm -hmm. and find a place for me where I was going to be able to help people in the way that I wanted, which mm -hmm. was on a deeper, much deeper level. Mm -hmm. um, it took deeper spiritually deeper. I wanted like to, I wanted to incorporate everything. I wanted to be able to hold space for people. I wanted to be able to share in the emotions that they were feeling. I wanted to be able to, um, normalize a lot of the behaviors by having real conversations with them not something that's um in my mind kind of synthetic it's just, mm -hmm. it's just artificial it didn't feel as natural um so i said these are the things i want i wrote it down and i and i put it on a piece of paper and i put it away i'm like this is i'm gonna find it no matter what i'm gonna be able to find my place in psychology and my place to be able to help people um, and ultimately, it took about a year or two for me to find life coaching. Mm -hmm. um, I, right out of grad school, once I had left the program, I moved back. To, I was in Miami for grad school. I moved back to New York. And I, um, I began a, an internship as a child life specialist. So I don't know if you're familiar with that. A child life specialist. Okay. So... Again, it was 
I was just kind of looking for things to do that would help me, position me to help people. And I got an internship at a hospital, a children's hospital, Mm -hmm. working with children who were chronically ill. So I was like, yes, this is what I want. I want to help people. That's such a hard thing for a lot of people to look at and decide to do because looking at children who are suffering, my God, it takes Mm -hmm. a specific person to be able to do that. Yeah. And in my mind, it it was a turning point. It was a beautiful experience. I still remember stories, experiences that happened that I carry into my work today. Um, but basically what child life is, is you are helping to normalize and prevent trauma. Normalize the experiences that children undergo in hospital settings and then prevent trauma as much as possible by letting them know exactly what's happening to them in terms that they can understand. So Mm -hmm. to ease the tension that they might be feeling, ease the anxiety, support the families during very difficult moments, because it's not easy to see your child suffering or in pain. Um, No one in my family could understand, why would you want to do this to yourself? Why would you want to put yourself in this position? And I kept saying, it's not me. I just, I feel like I have to do this. I have to show up for people. I have to help them. And maybe this won't be the gig, that I'll end up doing for the rest of my life, but it's taking me somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. I, I worked closely with lots of families that um, specifically were either in the oncology ward, dealing with, with um, all types of cancers. Um, I was in the post-op ward and neonatal intensive care. So all very heavy, highly mm-hmm. charged areas in a children's hospital where on any given day, you could lose a child on any given day, a new family would come in, um, hard conversations would be happening around um, organ donation, all types of very, very heavy um, instances that we go through as humans, right? So I would come home every day with like a rock in my throat because you couldn't, again, there was rules. You couldn't cry in front of the families. You couldn't join them. Like you had to be professional. And again, I kind of hit the wall. I can't, I hold space for these people. Mm-hmm. They're, they're hurting, they're in pain. Things are falling, you know, falling at their feet. Their, their life is crumbling. Um, and I would have to hold it. So I, I, I know that I'm an empath. I've always been an empath. So for me, if I'm seeing someone suffering, I'm suffering right there yeah. with them. And being in a position where I, again, couldn't express that in the way that I wanted, again, helped me to just, okay, keep moving, Christina, this isn't it. Mm-hmm. This isn't the role. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I stepped as privileged as I was to be in that position, to have learned so much and seen so much from all the patients that were there. I, again, felt this like air in me to keep moving. Mm-hmm. So that intuition guided me elsewhere. Um, that took me to, oh my God, all my jobs are so heavy. When I start talking about them to people, they're like, how do you do all this yeah. stuff? <clears throat> Which we looked into. <laughs> so I, um, I moved into a role in child welfare, dealing with, again, um, children who were medically fragile, um, severely emotionally disturbed or, um, mentally stable. Mm-hmm. And I, um, was helping families to cope. So giving them instruction in the home, real world instruction around how to navigate the day to day um, when you're having, when you're dealing with these types of issues. I did that for about six years. I climbed the ladder in that um, 
Child Welfare Agency. And again, hit a wall when I couldn't get things done for families that I knew were just kind of common sense. Like we need, you know, to the, something so simple or what I thought was simple. This woman is living in a home with no heat and she has a medically fragile child. Like, come on guys, let's yeah. go get her some heat. Like this is, should be very easy to, to fix, to remedy. And I would meet, I would be met with a lot of bureaucracy and it was just a mess. I wasn't in a position again to get the things that I wanted done to be able to support these people in the way that I wanted. Yeah. So six years came and went and Christina rode the wave again <laughs> to find what, what was going to fit the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but the theme is the same. It sounds like you, you continue to explore what the real world says. This is the path for you. If you have these, you know, sensitivities, abilities, or just direction of where your interests lie mm-hmm. and you continue to be met and say that this isn't sufficient for what I can do. Yes. So I need yeah. to do something else. Exactly. I, I would just kind of feel like, you know, you're, you're, you have a nice pace. You're, you're just like running down a path and it seems like it's very pleasant and the scenery is great and you're getting everything you want. And then all of a sudden, boom, detour. Like it would just stop me dead in my tracks. Like you don't like this, right? You don't like being told that you can't show up for a person in the way that you want. So let's keep going. Mm-hmm. And I would listen to that voice and hear it. And it was very loud in my mind and it would push me to keep searching mm-hmm. and and I was lucky enough to I think I was lucky enough to be listening mm-hmm. and to have that awareness that if this doesn't work if this doesn't feel good you you are allowed to change your mind and mm-hmm. keep digging a little deeper um so what do you I think did- was it inside of yourself that you you know you continue to reach after that now we'll get into your professional life now mm-hmm. but um, we have to take it backwards a little bit and talk about your background and mm-hmm. all of the spiritual aspects of things yeah. that you have um, available to you that a lot of people don't. Yeah. So, I, like I said earlier, my family is a very spiritual family. A lot of them are empaths. A lot of them are very sensitive. They have dreams that come true. They see things. Um, they have premonitions. And growing up, that was very weird for me. I would, that's how I would categorize it. You guys are so weird. <laughs> and I would hear stories and I'm like, oh God, I hope I don't grow up to be like this. <laughs> um, I was very resistant to the whole thing. Um, and, and it was scary too. I was very resistant and I was scared of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a young age, I would have dreams that they would happen. They would happen. And it was very clear that I did have the same sensitivities that my, my, my mom, my grandmother, my father, my, my grandfather, all of them had these, these skills. Um, and I have grandfathers was a, a, like a famous psychic in South America, right? Yes. Yes. My, my, my grandfather on my dad's side was, um, very well known in, in Colombia and he traveled the world as a medium and helping a lot of very important people. Um, and I was, I never, I didn't have the, the privilege of meeting him. He died at a very young age. Um, but my dad would always tell us stories about him. And again, when I was young, I'd be like, oh, don't tell me. I don't want to have bad dreams. <laughs> I would freak out. Um, as I got older, I started to get more curious, especially when things just started to come up for me more mm-hmm. in terms of being an empath and um, 
having these 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 urges and these sensitivities around spirituality and knowing that I couldn't deny it mm -hmm. I just couldn't deny it I was born into this family and obviously it was for a reason and I, I started to embrace it more as I got older especially when I kept seeing these shifts happening in my career like mm -hmm. this wasn't this wasn't even something that I felt was in my control it was just this is the universe telling you no this is Place for you mm -hmm. you have to go over here and I kept listening to it so it was probably the first time in my life that I was listening um, to clear direction that was being given to me mm -hmm. around what I should be doing um, with my life mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to intuition and spirituality and how that kind of helped me to position myself in the way that I have with life coaching um, it was always this this kind of I would always describe it as this air this like breeze would come and kind of lift me up and take me out of the position the circumstance that I'm in and place me in a one in one that was more appropriate mm -hmm. for the time mm -hmm. so it was for me I think it was a natural evolution all of those those career choices that I made got me to this point it helped me to create the path that I'm on right now as a, as a life coach, they've really helped to frame how I approach clients and hold space for them. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they do guide all of my sessions. My intuition mm -hmm. guides the majority of my sessions. I have moments where I'll be talking with my clients and at the end of whatever I'm saying, the end of my spiel, I say, Oh my God, I don't think I said that. I totally, <laughs> I don't even know. It just doesn't feel like that was all me. Somebody else was speaking on my behalf and, and saying what needed to be said in that moment with my clients. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that. I love that that I can kind of share the, the, the driver's seat, I say, mm -hmm. with, with my spirit guides, with my, you know, with my, um, I like to say, like my loyal soldiers that are helping to um, give the best information, mm -hmm. hold the most space for my clients because I know that it can't just be coming from me. Mm -hmm. I know that there's ancestral wisdom that comes through and it's taken 35 years to acknowledge that yes, I have ancestral wisdom and mm -hmm. that's pretty cool that I can take advantage of that whenever possible because it's helping people in the way that I want to help people. So I really like that because you are, at least the way that you're presenting is that you have, you have integrated both sides of the humanity and the spirituality in a place where typically in, in like talk therapy and things like that, there's mm -hmm. a space for that for sure. And it de probably depends on the client too, but yeah. there is, there is that detachment and removal from that. So you're able to exercise both in that. So what are the benefits that you see in being able to have such an integral type of practice that doesn't keep you from being detached? Is it draining utilizing your intuition in those sessions? Do you find it's more helpful than when you were using your clinical um, ideations or what are like that you had learned? Like what, what's the difference that you see in the healing? It allows me to be, it allows my sessions to be more free flowing. When I was too much kind of with my head wrapped around the science of it all, the psychology of it all, I really thought that I lost a lot of the essence of the session mm -hmm. and that I was robbing that essence too from my client because I was just too technical mm -hmm. in, in my approach with them. When I got my certification in life coaching and when I participated in the program to get my certification in life coaching, I was presented with such a different model that 
emphasized um, empathy, compassion, love, spirituality, all of the things that I, I recognized were missing from my, my regular psychology sessions with, with clients when I was in grad school, that I, I finally was able to say like, oh my God, I'm home, I'm here. This is exactly what I wanted. So I um, started to craft my, my sessions or draft my sessions in that way, bringing the compassion, bringing the empathy, bringing the spirituality. And again, what you said hits the nail on the head. It depends on the client. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily for me, I've also um, been really blessed with clients who are so open-minded. Um, I think people who seek out life coaches are very different than people who seek out a therapist or a psychologist or a PsyD. They are looking for something different and they will seek you out, which is a beautiful thing because I've I've lucked out with some incredibly open-minded clients that maybe they don't um, incorporate spirituality into their lives now, but once we start talking, (laughs) they expand their view quite a bit. And it's not because I'm exposing them to that. I, I approach things with a lot of curiosity and then they start to get curious mm-hmm. about what other pathways exist out there that can help them mm-hmm. to strengthen their internal toolkit to navigate this world. And it's just like a dance. It's beautiful mm-hmm. um, to approach the work that way because they start to see alternatives. They start to see the options and possibilities that exist in their life and like I said before, expands their view significantly where they were functioning for just from just one place, walking one path. And it's like they had binders on. And after a couple of life coaching sessions, and not just with me, with lots of life coaches, they start to see that there's other options that exist for them to better their lives. Mm -hmm. I think that especially within the psych community. So I almost went and got a degree in psychology, um, also being an intuitive medium type of person. We're very similar. (laughs) And, um, and I knew that if I had gone back to school, that that would um, strangulate the the abilities that I have in the way that I want to be able to show up for people. Um, But it's interesting because I'm seeing the same thing in my clients. So like, love to talk about that with you. Um, seeing their expansion happen in front of your eyes and seeing that there was um, like a, you, you could see that like thing wake up inside of them. Like, Oh, I, there's not just this path. Like we're used to being shoved down the scientific, the psychological, psychological, sorry, uh, clinical kind of perspectives where we do have to pathologize someone and say, there's something wrong with you that we need to fix versus this is what I'm dealing with. Yeah, there might be something wrong with me, but let's explore other options and see if there are other, if there's a deeper root cause to this symptom, you know, I feel like a lot of times we treat symptoms like they're the, they're the cause, but we're not looking deeper and finding where's the, where's the heart of that. So for you, since you're doing your life coaching, you're not a therapist, you're not diagnosing anyone, but when you're in that position where you're helping someone and you're holding space for them, how does your intuition or spirituality play a role in helping them heal? Because you are a bit of a healer also. So how does that come through you? What does that feel like? Um, for me, it's a lot of the language that I use. I, well, I'm not, you know, putting my hands on them and like um, having the healing occur in that way. I think that the language I use really 
has an effect. I, I kind of like the word that keeps coming up in my mind is like, it's like a spell. It's like, it's very powerful. Like, the way we communicate is so, so powerful. And the message that you send if clear enough can have such healing powers yeah. with clients. Um, cause they, they see that authenticity coming from you. They see the emotion behind the words that you're using and it uplifts them. It empowers them. I like to tell my clients that I am not a healer so much as I am a mirror for them. Mm-hmm. I am a mirror for them. That is my role. I let them say their piece and I reflect it back to them so that they hear it loud and clear that the majority of the solutions, the majority of the possibilities already exist in them. Mm-hmm. I'm just helping them to see yeah. because I'm the mirror. And that's the way that I help to heal. And anytime I have those moments where, like you just described, I got like so happy and like mm-hmm. where there you see them kind of a layer peeling back. Um, them having an aha moment, them coming to some kind of a realization, I start like clapping inside. Like, mm-hmm. ah, I knew it. Like, I knew you had it. I knew you already had it. It was just like on the tip of your tongue. Um, those are the moments that I live for when the work works, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in the business of working with people and people work with people. Mm-hmm. I, I help them to understand that this is a shared partnership that I kind of want to cultivate with them. And when they commit to using me as that mirror, the, the possibilities are just limitless. That's wonderful. So you yourself have had to go through some type of awakening yeah. process. <laughs> yeah, they're so what painful. Was, what did that look like? <laughs> like, when did that happen for you? Um, I mean, for me, it's been gradual. Um, it's, it's, it's been grad, there's been gradual points and then there's been so not so gradual, like very upfront <laughs> healing that has occurred, awakening that has occurred for me. Um, um, let's see. Life coaching was a healing experience in itself. Becoming a life coach was a transitional moment for me because I, I completed my program and I fully, fully stepped into this new persona, mm-hmm. new role. And it was like putting, shedding an old skin, putting on a new one. And it felt so fantastic. Um, That in itself was one of my awakenings. And then I just kind of had to um, grow into the role, take ownership of being a life coach, um, doing my own work to take it seriously. Because again, I was coming from academia and life coach, oh, that's so woo woo, right? (laughs) So I had to kind of help my ego to, to, stay quiet for a little bit Mm -hmm. while I grew into accepting that a life coach is just as powerful, has just as much purpose in this world. And I could help people from this space. Yeah. Um, That was one. I also tried to connect more deeply with my spiritual side. um, When I, when I did ayahuasca. So Mm -hmm. that was (laughs) holy moly. I mean, I so respect. Wait, when was your first time you did ayahuasca and what was that like? Well, that was like maybe a year after I did, I completed my coaching. So it had to be like around 2015, I believe. Yeah, in 2015, <clears throat> I, I did ayahuasca for the first time. And um, I think a lot of clients know, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, that was, again, another intuitive moment. Um, we have very close friends, my husband and I, um, who stepped into that 
arena full full force they did ayahuasca and they were called with that medicine to do that work right mm -hmm. and it was a beautiful thing to watch unfold in our friends lives and they invited us to do a ceremony and there was no question me and my, my husband were like yes we are all in we will do this we will um commit fully to this process and embrace this medicine um and my experience with ayahuasca was tremendous it was beautiful i connected so so much with the spiritual spiritual parts of me um i don't know if you want to have like details because it's a lot sure. yeah <laughs> um we'll do a but, quick a quick summary <laughs> okay so i had um like i said my parents and my family are very spiritual i had family members come through in my ayahuasca experience. I had family members both living and deceased, which was wild. Yeah. Um, come through um, in my ayahuasca experience. I had, I was provided with um, a vision of where my son, my son had just been born maybe a few months prior. I don't know. I don't even think he was a year old. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in the medicine, I was shown exactly where he came from mm -hmm. in, in the solar system. And it uh -huh. was just a beautiful thing. And they, and I was given messages around how special he was and how he was perfectly like, made for me. And um, it was a beautiful experience just to kind of help guide me in my, in my path. I came to my ayahuasca experience, just kind of give everybody perspective trying to find balance in my life. I had just had a child and I had just had my awakening connecting myself with coaching. And yeah. I was very struggling with identity. Mm -hmm. Am I a mom or am I gonna be a life coach helping people? Am I gonna be able to show up for them in mm -hmm. the same way when I'm completely entrenched in motherhood right yeah. now? Yeah. So I was very much struggling at the time to find a balance, find a space that felt just for me. Um, do you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Um, so when I went into the ayahuasca experience, I was trying to find answers around, can I do this all? Can I have it all? Um, because I feel like I'm losing myself mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. falling completely head over heels for my son <laughs> and giving all of it to him. Yeah. Um, so ayahuasca helped to reframe and and shift my perspective because it agreed with me that i was getting lost and yeah. completely showed me yeah you're exactly where you you're claiming to be mm -hmm. but it also shed light on but you have so much more work to do that's separate and apart from being a mother because you'll never stop being a mother but you could totally stop being a coach yeah but you would then stop being yourself yeah and I was like, oh, that's what I needed. I, like, I needed to be, you know, held. I, I really felt like I didn't have a space to be held at the time. And that's what ayahuasca provided me, a real um, comfortable place to explore what was going on in my mind, to break it down to the simplest form and to surround me with so much love um, and compassion and understanding because what I was going through, I know many women go through when they have a child, but when you're in it, you feel so alone. Yeah. Um, and ayahuasca was like the mother I needed in the moment mm -hmm. to say, you're never going to stop being a mother. You're 
an awesome mother. Like they even gave me all of that validation, which I was like, oh, thank you. I thought I was being so shitty at it. You know, yeah. I, was, I was feeling there was a lot of guilt um, around it because I didn't know if I could balance it all. Mm -hmm. um, and ayahuasca was just the, the hug that I needed in the moment to bring me back to center and let me know that you'll never stop being a mom. You'll never stop showing up, but you can't sh stop showing up for people and the right. world either. Right. So did you, when you had that experience, did it, did it open up more of your abilities, more of your intuition? Like were oh, there yes. experiences that started to happen that you were like, whoa? Yes. Yes. I, uh, after ayahuasca was, I kind of think, and I think a lot of people will agree, you, you come out of that experience very open mm -hmm. because um, it's such a powerful experience that you go through. When you come home, you're very sensitive to everything. Mm -hmm. And that kind of stayed for a very long time. I started to have visions. <laughs> I started to have, um, my intuition was like, woo, it was very, very strong. It was not something that I could ignore. It was just very yeah. loud. And, and specific. Um, and I had to, I had to be very, um, I had to be hyper vigilant almost mm -hmm. because I, sometimes I was just like, Oh my God, is this my intuition or am I just kind of freaking myself out? Um, so there was intuition, a lot of work like that you were getting answers about stuff or intuition, like you were seeing visions about things or like you were actually having things physically show up. And or yeah, all three things were showing up. Like it was, especially because I did ayahuasca with my husband. So both of us were very sensitive when we returned home and I was seeing things that for my husband. So I was seeing specifically, there was a woman that kept um, showing up in my bedroom and it was this when you were sleeping. That, yes. When I was sleeping, she would show up and she would come from the bottom of my bed and try to like jump at me. And it was very scary that, cause I've never had visions. I've always had dreams. I've always had, um, feelings I feel energies um but I've never saw something clear as day How often did you see that almost every night for the last for the uh, like first six months I think it was you like, like four to six in months. the middle of the night and you just felt that someone was there and you yeah I would feel Ooh. it like I would I can like I'll, I'm the type of person that I'll feel somebody in a room I will feel you know I'll feel things very easily so I would be, I would be woken up in the middle of the night and I'd feel like the person was there. And then sure enough, whoop, she'd come from under the bed and she would try to jump at my husband. And I would, I felt terrible because I felt like a football player. I would just like jump on my husband and block him mm -hmm. because I thought she was coming to harm him. Um, and it's interesting because you're a psychologist. And so mm -hmm. in that sense, in that trained sense, so most people would say, oh, you're having a night terror. Yeah, no, like, this no. was, that, that was a woman, that was, <laughs> that was a flesh and blood woman in my, in my home, uh -huh. and it was, it was very, very scary, and um, after a while, I, I wanted to kind of dig deeper, because I respect this, like, I respected the medicine, and I remember going into it saying, I respect all of what you're going to give me, because I take this seriously, this is not something for recreation, this is, yeah. this is work. Mm -hmm. um, so when I kept seeing this woman, I said, you know, this is, this seems bigger than me that I need to bring like big guns in <laughs> to kind of figure out what this could possibly be because should I help her? Do, does she need help? Does she think I'm here to harm her? What is the situation? So that was more like the life coach coming back in yeah. <laughs> um, and the scared little girl kind of stepping to the side. And I actually had someone who was a medium come into my home and I didn't say anything about the woman. Um, 
And she came in, she walked into my bedroom right when she walked in, she walked right into my bedroom. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, there's somebody here that is so sad. And it's not for you, Christina, this is for your husband. Like she's just not been able to let him go. Mm. And this is not from this life. This has come from another life. And she just wants you to understand. And I was at first defensive. I'm like, I don't care. No, <laughs> get the husband. fuck out of my house. Yeah, get out of my fucking house. I can't sleep. <laughs> like, I don't understand. I'm so like, where did you come from all of a sudden? Like, I've been here since so many years, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you all of a sudden coming? And obviously, because we were so open from, from ayahuasca, it was just, just the first time you've seen it. It was just very easy for her to now kind of show herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, uh, I had like a ceremony with my, my, my friend who's a medium. And I, and I said, you know, we have to guide this woman to leave this space because this is no longer her space and this is no longer her husband. And as, as it much as it hurts my heart because I could care less what her story was a couple of weeks ago, but now getting perspective that, you know, this is a love lost, mm-hmm. you know, this is now I feel bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not where she needs to be. And it's not, it's only going to hurt her more if we let her kind of linger here. Yeah. Um, so we did, we, we kind of gave like a blessing. We helped kind of guide and give her instructions. And literally she was no longer to be seen. Like mm-hmm. After a couple of days, I did not feel her. I didn't see her. And we just, we just really put all the faith in the world that she was going to go to the place that she had to go. And mm-hmm. um, I wished her well. And, you know, I, I, I told her that I would tell my husband that, you know, as much as I could, that she, she, she still very much loved him and was attached to him and that she would never not be attached to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that this was not the place mm-hmm. or the plane that she needed to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it worked, you know, and, and that was probably my first time fully embracing the other side. Mm-hmm. which you talked to me when I was 20, 19, 15, I would have been like, you're so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because you've always kind of, or at least what, from what I've heard from you is been drawn to death and drawn yeah. to things, mm-hmm. situations where people have experienced that type of pain and then find yourself doing that very same thing with a spirit and helping her move through mm-hmm. the way you were helping people on this material plane do. It's yeah. Kind of cool. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, no, it's been again, it's been this, this evolution that I I didn't expect, but that I'm trying very hard to just embrace the work as it comes. Mm -hmm. And who knows, you know, life coaching has been very, very fulfilling for a number of years now, and it has really served to fill my cup, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Um, But I don't know if that air is going to come back, if that breeze is going (laughs) to come back, and that, you know, that intuition is going to say, nope, deeper, Christina, deeper and have me move on. Something else. Yeah. So have you experienced, like, I'm, I'm really curious about your actual experiences too. Um, because for someone like myself who does not have that type of background, I could say all day long, I see people, I hear things, I, this, I, that, and people can look at me and go, well, you need to see a doctor. You're crazy. But Mm -hmm. since you have that background and you experience some of those things, like what is that like for you on, in your mind? So it's like, okay, I know the logical reasons and the functions of the brain and all this, you know, and then you can go on the other side and be like, oh, you know, there, there's a completely other side to the way that we operate in the world and what's happening that we don't see. Well, I think it's, 
for me, I, I, I interpret it as something very beautiful. Having the knowledge that I have in terms of psychology has, has helped a tremendous amount in my work. But then when I see things that are clearly just spiritual gifts, that's what I say. I'm like, I'm owning that as a spiritual gift that you have. And I acknowledge that we all have them. All mm -hmm. of us have it. Mm -hmm. um, it's whether or not it's activated. It's mm -hmm. whether it, uh, or not we choose to um, embrace it or completely resist it. I know for a fact that I completely resist seeing things because it was so goddamn scary to see that woman in my house. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I have probably for all of my life rejected actually seeing things. I've never rejected feeling. I've never rejected the dreams. So mm -hmm. I, for, in my opinion, I know that all of us have these gifts and talents. We're just not tapped in. We allow ourselves to get distracted. We'll put distractions in, in, their, in our way mm -hmm. so that we don't hear those things anymore. So when, for me, it comes out in coaching sessions, I get very excited for people. And I'm like, where do you think that's coming from? Mm -hmm. And that message or that dream, what do you think it's about? And slowly they start to acknowledge that it's innate. It's mm -hmm. just something that is there. And the, the more they do the work to embrace these talents, the more open they become, the more things they can manifest. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And then I start thinking about psychology and I say, wow, if you can approach people who are dealing with schizophrenia from a spiritual place, what, what could we do? Dude, what possibilities? That I've thought about that like a lot. I've thought about, you know what, what if they're not schizophrenic? What if they are they're able to inhabit? People. They're what? They're hearing actual spirits. They yeah. might be spirits. They may be very tapped in and it's confusing because they're here and those yeah. people are not. Yeah. You know, it's all on the same wavelength. So who wouldn't feel completely out of control and completely crazy, you know, and that I love, I love this topic because, um, so I was, we were watching some movie or something like that. And they're talking about this woman who had multiple personality disorder. And, mm -hmm. um, and so, and we're watching her, obviously it's Sybil? Movie. it wasn't Sybil. It was something else. Um, but then also we then I got on YouTube and I started watching people who have this and watching the differences between the personalities and how they keep them straight and what are, it's like, you can't fake this, right? Like it is, it's intense, but I'm watching it and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing and from an intuitive perspective, I'm not a psychologist. So like I'm looking from that perspective and watching them switch between personalities. And I'm like, this would be very close to what looks like possession in some kind of way, not in a demonic way, but like they're channeling and coming through and they're, they're this vessel that's able mm -hmm. to inhabit those people. And I thought, Oh my God, like you would call it disorder, but what, what's happening inside of their brain? Uh, like, I don't, I don't, I haven't done the research, but it's like, it's really difficult. Like someone who has what seven personalities in their body and they can remember each experience from each one and keep them all straight. That doesn't seem like something, I mean, yes, the brain can fragment, but to develop completely different personalities, completely mm -hmm. different voices and everything changes the voice everything. changes their blood pressure changes there was a schizophrenic who would drink a handle a handle of alcohol when they were in that personality and they would test their liver nothing no damage nothing wrong like how is that possible if every two days they were drinking a handle of alcohol all of their body completely changed the other the other example 
that I saw when I was working in the hospital is often when people are about to die, they start to have what we would kind of say as a delirium. They're, they're delirious, they're talking nonsense. And when I would witness um, people getting closer and closer, children getting closer and closer to the end, it was when I saw the most clarity. Mm. I witnessed the most clarity from them. To have a four-year-old with complete clarity say to their mom, like, don't worry, it's okay. I'll see you later. I'll mm -hmm. see you again soon. Mm -hmm. like when they know nothing about yeah. death and the concept of the afterlife they don't know anything and they said it and when they said it they sounded like adults yeah they sounded so confident in their language that this isn't the end and like what are you talking about the end like what do you mean it's you're four you're four and it would break my heart and and the moms and dads would be like you don't know what they're talking about right now right and they would say like and the doctors would say like you know they as the closer they get they kind of get a little delirious and thought processes become more more difficult and i would sit there i'm like no this is like ask them anything like ask yeah, them anything ask them right everything. Now, right now. They give you so much information and i'd see kids that would say that they saw things i've seen adults that say that they were in their deathbed and say that they saw things and you know it makes them no different than the psychology patients that we would see that we're seeing it while they're very much healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just that moment where they were completely open already at yeah. that point. They're on their way you know, to transition and it's a complete surrender. And now there's clarity, there's wisdom, and we can get something yeah. from that. We can really learn from them. Um, because they have they have messages that they probably want to impart and they get stifled because they're like, don't worry, no, just rest, just rest, be calm, be, you know, be quiet. And you could have gotten some gems yeah. right there. And it's not like we can't do that too with, with patients in psychology that are in, you know, um, mental wards, mm -hmm. just being heavily medicated yeah. right now. When they're like, that's, that's an interesting point because people who are in medical institutions or who do, do not, uh, mental institutions, sorry, um, they, who don't, fit in our society as we operate and then thus are medicated and put down essentially um, when they could have, they could have like spiritual gifts that we just don't understand. Um, I have someone who talks, um, I always forget who I'm trying to reference, but <laughs> there is a person who talks about autism and people mm -hmm. being on the spectrum and how that's, that autism is actually a gift, not a defect. Um, and some of them, they are not able to you know, communicate or structure with, like within uh, normal human interaction, but what the, what's happening in their brain, the gifts that they receive and what they're able to, like the, all that energy gets put into one area for some uh, where they become incredibly gifted, like, like things that seem supernatural that you're like, how the hell that's not, that's not normal. Right. Um, but it's, and so they spend it in that way that it's an incredible gift and incredible spiritual gift. And what we consider the things, things that, that don't fit in the normal are deficits instead of exactly. utilized. Yeah. And, and I try to shift the, the narrative in terms of that specifically and say, what are their strengths and what are their needs instead mm -hmm. of a deficit? Because I wouldn't want to have my child thought of as having a deficit and like there's strengths and there's needs. I have strengths and I have needs. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to normalize his or her environment 
as much as possible, but just by shifting the way I perceive mm-hmm. his her learning abilities. So you don't traumatize them in the pathology. I can't. I, I would refuse. I would refuse to do something like that. Um, I've worked with with children with autism. I have a family member who's autistic and incredibly talented. You you give that guy a map and he looks at it once and he knows exactly where we're going. I've never been lost with that. That's <laughs> that incredible. <boy laughs> by my side. <laughs> like, where are we going? Oh, take this highway to that highway. I could be in any state and he would wow. be able to guide us. Um, and not only that, I looked at a map one time and he would be able to make the skyline in Legos for you. What? Like I remember he would be able to make a skyline of a city with Legos by looking at uh, a map like once. What? It was amazing. I remember, I remember walking into his house when I was young and walking into that and I'm like, I can't believe it. Like, that's yeah. beautiful. And my dad would always say like, he's a little, he's a little angel. Like, mm. that's, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And that's how we would always embrace him. Like he's a little angel who has gifts that we can't even understand. Yeah. But that we're, we're, we're privileged to see and witness. Yeah. I love that, that in that, at least in your upbringing, you got space to be able yeah. to observe that with the flexibility and curiosity instead of a judgment and, and allow yeah. that to be explored. Now you have a son who's quite gifted also. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and again, when I was having a baby, when I was pregnant, I'm like, oh, I hope he's not weird. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying it like, oh God, I hope he's like, not I'm weird. Like, I have to embrace all of this. Like, <laughs> but he, yeah, he's he's four, but he has, you know, said things that just wow us that we know are not from here, not from mm-hmm. this place, that are maybe memories that he's had from previous lives and oh, tell we, our listeners this stuff i, I love yeah, this the story oh my goodness so my son my son has said that he's been my husband before and the way <laughs> the way that he um i can't forget it the way that he introduced this whole idea to us was over breakfast one day in a restaurant and he, he gets his meal and I'm like, yay, French toast. And he turns to me very serious and he says, oh, God, I'm so frustrated. Why? Why are you frustrated? He's like, why did you marry that guy? And I'm like, who? And he points to his father. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, what? And I go and I'm like, but Alex, that's your dad. And, and he, like, makes some kind of reference that, mm, like, it's you and me, like, we're married, uh-huh. and me and my husband are just, like, halfway with a fork <laughs> up, to go in our mouths, like, what is happening right now, <laughs> so I, you know, I talked to, I, I, I let it go, and we don't want to, like, freak him out or draw too much yeah. attention to him, because he literally kind of, like, comes in and comes out, like, yeah. taps out, and then he's like, oh, this French toast is delicious, and he just goes back to living his best life, um, so a few days passed, yeah, it's really, it's really intense. It's really intense to see. A few days later, he grabs me by my face with his little hands and he says, "I'm gonna marry you." I'm like, "Oh, baby, that's really sweet, you know, but we can't get married. I'm your mom, and you're my baby. Um, you're gonna find a nice girl, and you're gonna, you're, you're gonna marry her one day. You're gonna make that decision." And I'm like, "Maybe in another life we were married." He's like, "Yeah, in another life we were." And he just says like that, and he goes, he walks off. <laughs> He just like leaves you with the jet, like the bomb, and he just here's the grenade. Was he three and he or four just, when he said that. 
he was he was he was probably it was probably this year so he was still four yeah maybe five in january um the other one the most recent i don't think i've told you about this Mm -hmm. the most recent was he walks i'm in my kitchen i'm like working on my laptop and he walks out of his bedroom and my mom is in the living room and he goes when i was three um my 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 new mom because i guess time for him is a little funky he goes my new mom and my new dad we got in a car accident and i flew out the window and i was okay but i went up to mommy and daddy and there was just blood everywhere and they died and i'm like oh, holy moly and then it, so i don't think time for him necessarily mm-hmm. is as accurate so i don't know if it was a past life uh-huh. that because you know, he said it wasn't you and it wasn't dad and uh-huh. he, he was three and he's four now so uh-huh. he was telling us literally happened maybe like a week or two ago yeah and my mom like turns the corner in the living room like what the hell <laughs> and i'm just like frozen at my laptop and he's like yeah and and they died and that was sad but i was okay i i made it and i'm like uh, okay and how do you feel he's like sad but that wasn't you and that wasn't dad. And he just walks back into huh. his room and goes and plays with his toys. So he has these moments where he kind of taps into something. I don't know how he sees it or experiences it, but he shares it. Mm-hmm. And we've never come from a place of, you know, judging it or making him feel odd about it. And like I said, it just like comes in and comes out. Like he'll get this like bit of information, he'll share it, and then he'll go right back to his regular programming, I say. Yeah. Um, that's but so interesting, it, though, because I think the normal person would first say, oh, he probably saw something on TV or he probably blah, 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 and explain away that thing, but you're giving him space yeah. to explore that or like you guys are open to open to that, to see that. Yeah. I, I mean, especially since I know how it was to grow up and, and be surrounded by all of that like spiritual knowledge and my take on it was always like, you're weird. I always came from a negative place. <laughs> like I'm not embracing it at all, resisting it. And I didn't have moments like my son has, um, nowhere near. And if I had approached it by saying like, you're weird, like I would have when I was younger, I know how that probably would have made me feel. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want him to feel as normal as possible. And I want him to, however long this lasts, being tapped in in this way, um, I want him to always know that he can come and share with us, Mm -hmm. um, that he can talk to us about anything and that must be really confusing and as he gets older it'll really get confusing because he continues to get these types of these downloads these messages um if he already isn't in the habit of telling us openly and honestly then i can only imagine how difficult it would be when he's right and he feels this or or perceives this um and he doesn't know where to take it Mm -hmm. he doesn't have an outlet so i'm like that's tell me, I ask you questions and, and my husband will do the same. And, um, we want him to feel as comfortable as possible because we're always going to receive him with, with love and understanding and curiosity. And later down the road, we'll have to explain that that might not be how everyone mm-hmm. will perceive him. And that's a bummer, but it is reality. Yeah. Yeah. You got one of those rainbow kids. I know. <laughs> I know. I was just praying for someone who could sing to me and I, <laughs> has a really beautiful voice like Mark <laughs> put him in those singing lessons now <laughs> it's really cool though because i was i mean in several of the podcasts that we've talked um 
I've talked to people about the kids who are coming in now and how, and how weird they are <laughs> like yeah. in a good way. Like they're, they are, there are like the, the things that they say and the, the things that they know and how smart they are and just like the things that they pick up on. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a, such a bizarre thing to watch because as children, when we came in, so they have that classification of the children, rainbow children, crystal children, indigo children, whatever. I don't know what the labels are, mm-hmm. but I know that as an indigo child, that's more people who are in our generation who came into mm-hmm. troubled homes or not necessarily troubled homes, but hard. There, were, there was mm-hmm. hardship in our homes and things that we mm-hmm. suffered um, light to extreme trauma from. And we're having to get over our whole deal is like trying to figure out self-love and that we're enough and you know, all that. Yeah. But with these kids, they come in with that self-love and that knowing oh, yeah. like, you know, whatever. And they're telling us like, you need to love yourself and there's more love in the world that, you know, like whatever. And they're, they're just different. Mm-hmm. Not obviously not all of them, but you got one of them for sure. I got one of those. Like he is a very compassionate individual. He has it just there. And I don't remember what was happening to me, but I started crying over something and he, again, he just like grabs you by your face, like a little adult. And he's like, it's okay. Just cry. Mm-hmm. I'm right here. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're telling me to sit oh, in my feelings. Step into my feelings. That's totally a coach technique. I'm like, yeah. what? I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay, Alex. I'm saying, no, you can cry. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I welcome. I welcome all of that. Just innate skill he already has. That he he's ahead of the game for sure. Yeah. yeah. So what is it like to be in a family? Look, it's 11:11 right now. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, where I live, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it like to be in a family of, you know, just woke warriors here? <laughs> um, I think it's beautiful. I mean, um, are there moments where you don't want it? Like where everybody's kind of being the empath and you're like, shut up. I just want you to be an asshole right now. <laughs> I don't want you to feel my feelings. Like, yeah, just exactly. <laughs> exactly. like we can't just be like an emotion bubble here. Yeah. Um, is we're all very passionate people. Like the three of us are super passionate. Um, a lot of ambition coming from all three of us too. Um, because, and, and it, it has its pros and its cons. Like we're open and transparent and we'll have the hard talks when we have to have the hard talks because we know the benefits and um, we'll, we'll share all our funky dreams and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll say, <laughs> my, the, my husband has this thing where, um, if I'm frustrated or I'm coming from, from work with something that's like heavy and he's like, Oh God, you gotta get rid of that. Cause I feel it in my stomach. And I'm like, just don't, just don't take it. <laughs> don't, don't take it don't from take me. It. Boundaries. <laughs> like, like, why don't you turn around off your empath thing for like a second. So that I can that have it myself. <laughs> but it, you know, it has its things um, that make it interesting to say the least to be in the same household with each other yeah but i wouldn't have it any other way we're i mean we're we're crazy about each other for sure i love that there's so many people though who are you know someone wakes up before they wake up their partner um or they start to come into this knowing and every it's it's stigmatized it's mocked it's oh you're just in your head you know it's that kind of thing and so a lot of people aren't lucky enough to have that situation where they're able to kind of like have that openness with someone like that. Um, but I wanted to ask you, so like, because of, because of your background and because of 
um, you know, you being in a family where intuition is key and you guys listen to each other. And when you say, I have a feeling about this, it's taken seriously. Mm. Um, what do you, what advice do you have for people who are starting to come into this process and realize and wake up into their gifts or they have strong intuition already? And like, how do they know that what they're feeling is intuition versus, you know, just a kind of like a random thought or something like that? How do they become more confident and knowing what their intuition is saying? Um, it's a process for sure. Um, and it's definitely something gradual that needs, you know, you have to work the muscle. I, I always say to clients, um, luckily, you know, again, I'm coming from a family that really embraced intuition. It was <laughs> so much we used to take advantage as children. My, my dad, if we would say, I don't feel like going to school today, he would be like, maybe it's not meant for you to go to school today. Something <laughs> might happen. So I'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's exactly what it is. And, you know, he, he really kind of created that culture in our home, like follow your gut mm -hmm. um, and to go with what, you know, pulled you, whatever pulled you, go in that direction. Um, so having that as an example to grow up when it, intuition came more naturally for, mm -hmm. for me. I would follow my gut. I would, you know, if I felt like I had to cross the street when I was young because I was just leery about somebody behind me, it was usually for a good reason. Mm -hmm. Something might have happened and, and or something almost happened yeah. on several occasions. And I was lucky to have, you know, been taught to really listen. Um, but as an adult working with, you know, clients who haven't worked that muscle, I, I tell them to be very gentle with themselves. Like start simple, start testing yourself, you know, start um, saying in the morning, something that you're going to see, start manifesting things, start trying to exercise and put that into practice so that you can start to trust it. You're going to have to build that confidence. Right. But at first I always tell people that you have to connect to your courage. You have to connect to your confidence and then you connect to your choice. So it takes courage to step into things that are unknown. Um, and once you start to be brave, you're going to be, you're going to, test those skills. You're going to step into things that are a little bit more scary, a little bit more challenging. And then you start to get some wins and you build your confidence. Then you start to recognize that you have so much choice mm -hmm. in life. And when you recognize that you have so much choice, you start to pick things that feel natural to you, mm -hmm. more authentic to you. And then how powerful do you become? Damn. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I think that's such a beautiful, like, I mean, it gives people permission. I think we're, yeah. we're often, we always feel like we have our arm behind our back, tied behind our back about what people think we should do or like what path we set out. And I like, even in your path, you could see that you were like, eh, not it, pivot. Mm -hmm. Okay. This pivot, like, it's okay yeah. to pivot. It's okay to change. It's okay to listen to that intuition. It's okay to like, look in a different direction that feels more natural and just, healthier, better for you, yeah. but experiencing some of those things. Um, so personally for me, even like I'm a, I'm a coach, so coach mm -hmm. people too. Actually, this is how me and Christina know each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like in, in session, that stuff comes to me as well. Like stuff will just like out of nowhere. And it sounds like I'm saying it, but it's yeah. not mine. Like, it's like, I wouldn't have come up with that conclusion to give you that advice for that to like make a snap inside of your head or something. I was having a experience with a girl one time who had crazy phobia of flying. Oh, wow. And I had, um, I just had like a, like an intuitive hit. 
and I saw a picture of an abduction, like wow. an alien ship abduction or whatever. Wow. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, girl. Like it was like across the face. And I was like, oh my God, you're not, you're not scared of flying. You're scared of being abducted. And then she told me about this dream that she had had about this, the very thing that I saw and something just clicked. Something just clicked for her. She had a flight coming up. She hadn't flown in like maybe two or three years and she had this flight coming up and she slept through the flight. She got through both two flights or whatever. And then came back and was fine. No fear, like restful, had a great time, the whole thing. And her husband even was like, I've never, ever seen her so calm for a flight. And so for me, like she, she says, I healed her. Yeah. And I like, I don't feel like I can take credit for that. I'm the vessel for the energy that comes through, but yeah. it was in that moment. I'm sitting here coaching her from a very logical perspective. Mm-hmm. And then that thing come in and be like, Oh, this is what you need to hear. And in that moment for her, that shift happened and that's what healed her. So her being open to that perspective of what it was I had to say, but me also being open enough to allow, to listen, to listen. Yeah. And you said a lot about that, that listening and trusting that gut. So if I had had that misconfidence in myself to be able to hear that thing and be like, no, I'll put that to what side. a missed opportunity that would have been. been a huge missed opportunity. And like, now that I've come so far with, obviously, like I believe in aliens and all the mm-hmm. we're, we're on the show. Right. So yeah. <laughs> um, like I've opened myself up to those things to be able to communicate them with others who might be having that type of awakening process. And that would have been such a missed opportunity, not listening to the other side and integrating the two. They're valuable, both they're both very valuable. I think that there's such a place for um, psychology and science and quantum and, and all of that, that stuff. It's really, really beautiful, but it's not everything. It's not the whole picture. So you're a wonderful uh, guest to see. I look at, look at that whole picture of seeing the, the, the psych aspect of it, where the science is, where the study of the brain is and what that means, but not dropping the other half the whole other half the of other this, like, big big chunk of what's going on yeah. with us <laughs> that's come in. there's a lot I love that so um I mean we're almost done with this episode but I have you have so many stories um <laughs> like I want to hear because you told me something about your son saying he knew where he was from oh he told my I think he told my husband mm-hmm. he told my husband um he's very much into space right mm-hmm. Um, and when I had my ayahuasca experience, I can just kind of briefly describe when they, when I was taken to where he was from, it was like, I was laying flat on my back and it was as if I was in an elevator and I was just going up, up, up. Mm-hmm. Eventually I kind of see myself go up through the roof of the home that I was in and into the sky. And it was nighttime and, you know, I kind of see myself break through the atmosphere and I'm like, oh my God, it was so real. I have asthma. Mm-hmm. I start wheezing. Mm-hmm. during like mm-hmm. really wheezing and I, I don't know if I freaked out my husband or if I freaked out um shaman that was helping us but I was wheezing very heavily because I was so high up yeah and again that was probably just my body convincing me like you're so high up you should have asthma yeah. so it was ridiculous <laughs> so I go up and I suddenly like I break atmosphere and I see this like beautiful beautiful galaxy and it's just got pink tones and purple and stars galore and I'm like I, I felt like I shouldn't be saying this. Like I should not be saying this. Mm-hmm. This is so gorgeous. And this voice comes and says, this is where Alexander is from. Mm-hmm. And he's traveled a very long way to get to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, like you are his mom, but he's okay. And he will be okay. Um, so you can still focus 
like on other stuff mm -hmm. do other things like mother yes but you're also like i got like the sense like mother to others yeah right? So you could be a mother to others. Like mother is the title, mother is the role that you have here, but how it plays out for Alex and how you show up to others is just different. Yeah. Still under the same umbrella of mother. Mm -hmm. um, since he's into space, he's he's been into space since he was two. He memorized the planets when he was two and he would tell us. Um, <laughs> And one day we took him to um, a science, yeah, science museum in Miami. And he was, my husband was holding him and he sees like a galaxy, very similar to the one that I saw in, in my ayahuasca experience. And he whispers to my husband, like, look, that's, that's where I came from. And my husband's like, oh yeah, buddy, like, what did it look like? What was, you know, what was the background? And, um, he goes, and I don't remember if, oh man, I wish my husband were here because I, I kind of am going to paraphrase the story. I don't know if my husband said that um, Alex was like, oh, well, that's where I was from and it got destroyed yeah. and it's not there anymore. Yeah. Um, and my husband was like, oh, that's the that's a bummer. How do you feel about that? He's like, I'm sad, but I'm here. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad, but I'm here. <laughs> Here, but you know, I'm here now, so yeah. consolation prize, you guys. <laughs> we'll do our best to, you know, entertain you while you're here. Yeah, you're like wondering, like, okay, sorry, sorry, you're here, and we're not movie guys, yeah, Metatron or wherever like, he's from. Yeah, that's incredible. So, mm -hmm. like, do you do you have how often are you having these type of paranormal experiences yourself? Um. <clears throat> For the most part, it's always in dreams. So every couple of nights I'll have a dream. Oh, that's that often. Like, oh, I got to write a, a note or something for myself because I quickly go, you know, and, and it goes back to those missed opportunities. Some of them really stick with me. Um, some of them, like I said, have happened before. And um, I try to have the ones that are like really, really like those stickies. I have to kind of write them down and remember yeah. them. But they're, they're fairly often. Um, energy wise, I mean, I have definitely felt more open in the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. Um, so like malls are very hard for me. Yeah. Christmas shopping. I did it all online. We yeah. went to a mall <laughs> one day and I told my husband, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. It's like, I'm like feeling like I'm getting squished here. Mm -hmm. Um, that's that empath thing though. Yeah, sure. it was. Yeah. Oh, it was not good that day. <laughs> like, I just gotta get out. I don't really have to buy anybody anything today. Yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, my husband, I mean, he's having lots of things kind of percolating for him too. So it's a highly charged season. For yeah. Us. <laughs> um, he recently went back to do ayahuasca. I think it was like last weekend and then I wasn't drawn to it this time. So again, I'm kind of just following my gut. I didn't think that I needed to do it this time mm -hmm. around i think he needed his individual process too so yeah um, we've, we've done it twice now together and again he asked me like, do you want to go and i'm like no i don't think i'm gonna mm -hmm. go and it just came out so naturally i was like mm, i guess i'm not going yeah um so um but that's not to say i won't do it again but again i, I feel like i'm having my own kind of like purging yeah going on without having the ayahuasca and yeah and i'm like letting it kind of come yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for being on the show. I think it's wonderful to get to see someone who has, 
such a such an extensive background in the psych world and still observes the spiritual and i mean that's what the show is about like we're trying to open people's minds to possibilities of 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 openness of things of the awakening and whatever is supposed to be happening to those of us who are what we call ourselves light workers and, and want to bring a new vibration a new paradigm a new template to this earth so thank you so much for being on the show thank um you. last thing i want to ask you um what is like if there was something you were going to advise anybody about anything what would that be like what's your message to our listeners today um be as transparent with yourself and with the world around you. When you leave nothing to assumption or for somebody to just kind of come up on their own, how you think, feel, believe, then you really do take your choice away. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, always tap into that courage, that confidence and that choice because once you do, there's nothing that you cannot face beautiful awesome so tell our listeners where they can find you um so christina reyeros coaching you can look me up on google um i'm also on facebook again christina reyeros coaching um and i look forward to hearing from everyone everyone <laughs> awesome <laughs> <Trying to manifest that. laughs> you guys definitely go check her out and thank you for listening we'll see you next time thank bye. you bye interested in becoming a client for energy coaching, find me at www.thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do or hit me up on IG at thelovelyalia for daily content and inspiration.